Okay. So here's what we're going to do tonight. I will tell you as we came into this week and as I was planning for this week and for the next two weeks, really, the Lord kind of changed plans. Next Wednesday, we will still be on the topic of evangelism. And we will consider next week a bit more of the practical components of evangelism. What do I mean by that? When you get the opportunity to share your faith with someone, some of you are very experienced in this, you're well-versed with this, you're very comfortable, and other people, not so much. You maybe find yourself a little nervous, and what do I say, and how do I say it? Uh, that's a natural thing, and so next week we will consider a little bit more of the practical process of sharing your faith, how to ensure you share, if you have the opportunity, a biblical gospel, the necessary components of uh, what one would need to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, hopefully give you some tips and tricks to make you a little bit more comfortable with that. Consider aspects of sharing your testimony and, and uh, some practical tips on you know, what to include. And uh, even the question, I'd encourage you guys to think about this over the next week. If you're taking notes tonight, write down the question. If you had the opportunity to tell someone in 60 seconds, who is Jesus, what would you say? That's a really good practical thing to just consider. You're wearing one of your Calvary shirts, right? And somebody comes up to you and says, hope dealer, what's a hope dealer, right? I've never heard of that. I've heard of a dope dealer, but not a hope dealer. And that's what happens, guys. That's why t-shirts work, okay? And you get the opportunity to go, I'm glad you noticed that. Let me tell you. And you're just standing there and you're waiting on uh, uh, the bus. You're waiting at the, at the checkout line, whatever the case may be. And you've got 60 seconds to tell this person what possibly might be the most important thing they could ever hear in their entire life. What would you say? Would you go, uh, 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 or would you be practiced and ready to go? And mind you guys, we have an incredible gift. It's called the Holy Spirit that works in us, that gives us, that gives us words sometimes. When we don't even know what we're going to say, and maybe we're even talking and you don't even know what you're saying, but the Holy Spirit is speaking and working. So I don't want to freak anybody out, but it's good for us to practice. It's good for us to prepare. And so I want you to consider that over the next week. But here's the thing. As we're coming into tonight, I, my plan was to start diving into some of that. But some circumstances changed things this week, and I think when that happens, we can always go, okay, Lord, what, what do you have in mind? And, and sure enough, he showed me some things this week. As I mentioned, we had the opportunity to senator some teaching from Chip Ingram at the Cove, and Chip had many different things to share, particularly for pastors, encouragement for pastors. But there were some things that I took from it that I thought, you know what, I think, I think we as the body of Christ here at Calvary Chapel Northeast need to consider some of these things tonight. Because when it comes to the topic of evangelism, the fact is, it's difficult for, and mind you, when I say this, I know this sounds kind of odd because there's really nothing that's difficult for God to do, so you've got to be careful how I word this. But it's difficult for God to use a discouraged person who lacks joy in their life, particularly to share the truth of the gospel. If the good news of salvation the gospel message, which is the good news, is not, in fact, the greatest news right now in your own life, how can you go about declaring it to others, right? And so for us tonight, what I want us to consider a little bit is our own hearts right now as it pertains to the things going on in our world, which we've considered at length throughout this year, and just our own hearts relative to evangelism. 
Let's look for a moment, and we're going to turn to a lot of different passages of Scripture. Let's, let's read one of the foundational texts that we must consider in all of this, and we'll pray and then continue on. So let's, let's look for a moment at Matthew. Matthew 28, let's begin in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we turn our attention to your word, and in particular, Lord, the Great Commission here in Matthew 28, Lord, we recognize as believers the importance of sharing our faith, the exhortation, the commandment, the privilege, the opportunity. But Father, as we often recognize, and we'll do so again here this evening, Lord, we we fail at this sometimes. Lord, we struggle with this at times. Fear, anxiety, doubt. A variety of things, Lord, come in and distract us or prevent us. And Lord, even now in our world, because of a multitude of different circumstances, we ourselves, Lord, may be struggling with a lack of joy in our own lives. Lord, we may not be as focused on you and, and the things of you and the, and the truth of the gospel, Lord, in a, in a way that we should. And, and quite frankly, Lord, we recognize that that, uh, that may hinder us from even desiring, Lord, or even thinking about sharing such news with other people. If it's not real and relevant right now in our own lives. And so, Lord, we bring all of this before you this evening, Lord, and we'd ask that, Holy Spirit, you would move and work in our hearts and bring necessary perspective, change of heart, transformation of mind, whatever is necessary, Lord, to cause us to be obedient in the work that you called us to. And over these next couple of weeks, as we consider these things, Lord, I pray that each of us, myself included, Lord, I'm not above any of these things as a pastor, Lord, but, but just as guilty and in need of, of, of just as much, Lord, that we would be a people who would go forth with boldness and share the truth of the gospel. It would be a part of uh, the work that you're doing in our community. And so, Lord, help us in this endeavor, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so again, what we read there in Matthew 28 is the Great Commission. We know that as the Great Commission. It's right there, not necessarily in front of you, but it's within sight every time you come into this sanctuary, making disciples of Christ. That is the, that is the mission of this church. That is the mission, in my opinion, of the church, that we would glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, what you see beyond that there is the pattern of discipleship that we believe we see on display throughout the New Testament, in particular in the book of Ephesians. Exalt, equip, engage. We make disciples. We, we train up disciples. We ourselves desire to be disciples, which means students of God's word, students of, of Jesus, followers of Jesus, that we first understand rightly how to exalt him. It's about the vertical, not the horizontal. Our vertical relationship with Jesus Christ needs to be of the utmost importance. It begins there. And so we seek to all together exalt Jesus Christ. And from there, uh, it's about equipping. And so still in that vertical relationship, God through his Holy Spirit, by his word, teaches us, equips us. Fact is, the church, which is all 
of you. And when we come together, as, as Jimmy shared, Pastor Jimmy shared on Sunday, we become the church. This building becomes the church when the people gather together in it. The reason we come together in it is to encourage one another, to bear one another's burdens, to have fellowship with one another, but to be equipped. This ultimately, the church, the building, the church, is really a Christian equipping center. That's what should be going on here, that we are being equipped in the word of God. Why? So we can just live wonderful lives and spend time praising the Lord? Well, well that's, that's wonderful. We get that as a part of our equipping, but so that we can do the third part, which is engage. We go out. The walls of the church need to be regularly turned inside out. The people need to leave. We don't get to just stay here. Any commanders of an army, uh, eventually when they're in that war room, that strategy room, they're putting together something that they then go and employ. Any sports team in the locker room is putting together a strategy, getting each other fired up to go out and play the game. We don't get to just stay here. This is not what we're just about. We need to go out and engage the world with the truth of the gospel. Jesus has called us to follow him and make disciples. There's really nothing else that he told us to do in terms of our calling. We have instruction in scripture as to how we're to live our lives, how we're to please him, how we're to navigate difficult situations, but ultimately it's about us being made more and more like him, made into his image, such that we would bring him glory, and so that he can use us as we're sanctified, as we're changed, as we're surrendered, to be used by him to share the gospel. What an incredible privilege. But the enemy seeks to shut that down every way that he can by disqualifying you, by taking people out of ministry, by making people fear and not share the truth that is within them. And I believe the enemy is at work even now over these last several months doing much of what he's doing in our world. And and it's causing people to fear and be distracted and to be anxious and not to be focused on the very things that God has called us to do. Now, here's the other thing, and we're going to consider this tonight, even though the enemy is at work, please understand that God is sovereign. That means he's over all things. That means he's, that means he's either decreed it or he's allowed it to happen. So even though the enemy is at work doing these things, we need to understand that God is greater. God is bigger. God is more powerful. He is moving. And so we need to be able to push through these circumstances to continue to do what he's calling us to do so that he would be glorified and many people would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, these are the things that are happening right now. But as I've stated to you already, it's a difficult thing for us to go and share the good news and to tell other people, hey, there's good news, if we ourselves on a daily basis are feeling like there's only bad news because we've lost sight of what Christ has done. Now, what I want you to understand here this evening as we consider some of these things is at no point do I want anyone to feel like I am minimizing the experiences that you may have. God doesn't minimize the experiences that you may have. God never suggests that the things that we sometimes go through are meaningless or or that they aren't real struggles. In fact, what we see in Scripture is that, no, the struggles are real, but yet we work through them. We press on. We persevere. We endure We have joy that's unspeakable. We can't even explain it. We have peace that surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense. So it's not about just saying none of these things matter, but about saying, yes, they exist, but there's something greater. There's something better that has given me what? Proper perspective. That's what's important when we're dealing with a lot of the things that we're dealing with. The Great Commission, we jumped ahead, of course, to the end of Matthew. It's going to take us a little while till we actually get to Matthew 28 on Sunday mornings, but we're moving decently fast, okay? We're, we're, we're moving along. 
We'll be in Matthew chapter 10 this upcoming Sunday. But if you recall, let's just look there for a moment. The past couple of weeks, we've been in Matthew chapters 8 and 9. What have we seen going on there in Matthew 8 and 9? Let's look for a moment. In Matthew chapter 8, and let's summarize here quickly, we see here where Jesus comes down from the the Sermon on the Mount. He comes down from the Mount of Beatitudes. And it says at the beginning of chapter 8, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And then, of course, we see that Jesus really begins to employ his miracle ministry. Jesus has begun to heal people. In, in very miraculous ways. And in some cases, a lot of people see it and they go and tell others. And in other cases, Jesus says, hey, keep this to yourself for a little while. Because Jesus understands what's going to begin to happen as word of these miracles travels. And there's going to be a lot of people that flock to him and a lot of people that do so for somewhat the wrong reason. And, and Jesus has a, an understanding of his ministry, what he's called to. And so he's trying to navigate these different things uh, and keep things sort of calm and focused on the proper intention. But nevertheless, he's going around and he's healing people. People and, and news of this is spreading and more and more people are coming to him. And over and over again, he's healing different people. And, and if we've really seen anything as far as a theme of who he's healing over the last couple weeks, hopefully you've recognized that the people that Jesus is healing are the outcasts of society for a multitude of different reasons and, and, and in different ways. Whether it's those who are diseased and so because of that they're rejected, it's believed either that they're in sin or they're just so repulsive, they're so... Uh, disgusting, if you will, that people can't be around them, and so they're cast out. Or in some cases, it's it's women who just, uh, from a cultural perspective, were sort of ostracized. Uh, or in the case of the centurion, really, if we're if we're honest, issues of ethnicity and politics come into play there. But Jesus is approaching all of these different people, and it's really causing those who are with him to kind of go, "Man, this is all, as far as we're concerned, counterculture." Countercultural. It's, this is upside down. We've never seen things done this way before. And Jesus, of course, is being very intentional with those who he is healing. Matthew is being very intentional with the accounts that he's recording so that we can see that Jesus ultimately, uh, as we recognize, if you, if you jump ahead to chapter 9, particularly in verse 35, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. So ultimately what we're seeing here is that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the one who, if you are a Christian and you've said, yes, Jesus is is my Savior, well then your Savior is, is having compassion. He's having compassion on people. He's having compassion on people that most others would have just kind of rejected and said either they got what they deserved or we don't care about them or they're less than. These are the ones that Jesus is going to. And so he's demonstrating here, not only is he living out much of what he taught in the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus here is, is, is showing a new way. He's bringing a, a new thing as he is the one who has fulfilled the law. And it says that he had compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And as we move into chapter 10 on Sunday, what we're going to see here is that Jesus begins to prepare his disciples to go out. And in preparing them, not only does he give them instruction for what they're to go and do, he gives them insight into the things that they'll be able to do, power that they'll have in his name, but he's also going to let them know that persecutions are coming. 
he basically says to them, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. People are going to attack you. People are going to try and kill you. There's going to be all kinds of different things that come upon you. But of course, the encouragement that we can so easily sort of skip over when we get all the way to the end of the message here and end of the gospel, when Jesus says, and so all power and all authority has been given to me, and I command you, go out and make disciples. And what does he encourage them with? And lo, I will be with you always. You see, with Jesus, it is not a matter of saying none of these things are going to happen to you. Nothing bad's going to happen. Nothing difficult's going to happen. And he says all of those things are going to happen, but I'm going to be with you. But here's the challenge for us. In the United States of America, and I wouldn't pretend for a second that there hasn't been hardship, certainly for anyone in this room, that there hasn't been hardship and different difficulties in our country. But here's the thing. Again, it's a matter of perspective. Relative to the rest of the world, we have lived very prosperously. And I'm of the opinion that any area that we see in this country that lacks an aspect of prosperity is just a matter of our inability as a country to steward resources well. That's not an advocation for some sort of socialism or something like that if somebody wants to get all political on me. I'm just flat out telling you, the resources that we have in this country, if they were used better, we'd be okay. Plain and simple. And so it's, for us, not so much a lack of, but a failure to steward well, whereas in other areas of the world, there's sometimes just a a flat out, it's not there. You don't have it. And so because in our country we have grown so accustomed to prosperity that as things then start to come in and influence us and impact us, well, it's difficult for us. And we struggle to keep a proper perspective. We struggle to to maintain joy. We struggle to have a mind and a heart that says, today I want to go and tell people about Jesus because we become too focused on our own problems. When we talk about evangelism, and we'll consider this next week, this analogy a little bit as we just kind of talk about the way to approach evangelism sometimes. If right now we kind of heard this explosion and across the street, a building just suddenly burst into flames. And we said, whoa, like that building over there is on fire. And inevitably, we'd probably pause, as engaging as my teaching is. And we would step outside. You, you, you can chuckle at that. I got one laugh out of that. We'd step outside and we'd go, man, is everything okay? And if from that burning building, we heard cries of, help, help. We would say, there's people in there. We need to do something, right? That would be hopefully our natural response. But what if, as we heard those cries for help from a burning building, we just said, I mean, we got air conditioning in here. It's super comfortable back in our church. We got these sweet new chairs. It's got four-inch padding and a lifetime warranty. It really does. Shameless plug for our new chairs. And we said, you know what? We're more comfortable here. Let's just go ahead and go back where we're comfortable, where we're okay, and let's continue our Bible study. Hopefully somebody would say, this is absolutely ridiculous. There are people that are dying. There's someone who's going to perish. We have got to do something about this. And you guys get the analogy, right? Our world, our country is on fire. There are people perishing every 
day. This isn't about making you feel bad, but there is absolutely a sense when we think about evangelism, there needs to be an urgency on our part as believers if we truly believe that in the only way that you can spend eternity in heaven is to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to surrender your life to him, and that the way in which people come to that decision is that they they know about Jesus. They're told the gospel. Their way for salvation is made clear to them. Well, then are we being, are, are we about his business in that way? Are we doing that? Are we obedient in that? Are we urgent in that? The fact is, a lot of times we're not, and I include myself in that, okay? This isn't about me getting on you guys. This is about for us as the church. And you see, for us, really until recently, in more of a literal sense, there's not really been any burning buildings in America. We've been living in such a period of peace and prosperity that it's been easy for us to go, man, praise the Lord for those missionaries, right, who are doing this and doing this work. And, and again, I'm not faulting that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing for us to have supported missionaries and prayed for missionaries and sent people out. But we're at a point in time in our country where it's urgent, where now the, the reality of life and death are very much before us more so than what it's really been. But the question becomes is where are you guys in terms of your relationship with the Lord? Where are you in terms of your joy in the Lord? Where are you right now in terms of of your appreciation for the good news of Jesus Christ? And, And I want you guys to be willing to be honest about that because here's the thing. There are some days, guys, where even as a pastor, I wake up and if I'm honest and I try to be honest with God because I believe that that's the best way for us to have a right relationship with God is to be honest about everything, not to assume that he doesn't, as the creator of the universe, already know my heart, but to wake up sometimes and to say, Lord, I, I, I don't really want to do these things today. I don't feel, Lord, like spending time in your word this morning. I don't feel like spending time in prayer this morning. And Lord, I know that's wrong. And Lord, help me. Correct my thinking, Lord. Correct my perspective. Work in my life, Lord. Make your word come alive to me to pursue him. And so I'm giving you guys the opportunity to just be honest with yourselves and say, yeah, sometimes I don't feel like it. But if we don't feel like it and we allow those feelings to rule us, then when we go out into the world as ambassadors of Christ, are we really reaching anybody? In this time in our culture where masks have been put on our faces, everybody's been basically convinced that each of us are a threat to one another. And that wherever we go, we need to go as quickly as we can, as isolated as we can, apart from everybody. Get in, get out, go. Are we quick to evangelize, to stop and to really talk to people, to see how people are doing, to push people, even the people that you know, to push them a little bit and to say, how are you? No, really, how are you? No, 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 I'm being serious. How are you? Or is it, no, let's go, let's go quick. Let's get, we got to get back home. I got to get back into my quarantine. And listen, please understand me. I'm not, I don't want to have to give qualifier after qualifier tonight. I'm not, I'm not dogging on anybody. I'm not trying to say you're wrong if there's aspects of caution that you've been employing, I've said that a million times. But guys, there is a difference. Remember, there's a difference between caution and fear. There's a difference between wisdom and fear. So just keep that in mind. But, but think about all this. So I think we could all agree that aspects of the Great Commission right now are probably being stalled a little bit. And I'm curious right now, and I want you guys to just think about this, but like, what's the big problem in front of some of you right now? 
If you're honest with yourself right now, if, if I said, what is the biggest thing creating fear, anxiety, or worry in your life right now, what would be the answer for each and every one of you? How many of you is pandemic and COVID and all that stuff on your mind worrying you? There's things that are worrying you, I know. But I know for a fact that there are people in our body who are feeling depressed, who are struggling with anxiety, borderline crippling anxiety, who are struggling with family relationships, who are struggling with just uh, isolation, depression that's coming from isolation from this COVID world that we're living in. I don't know, and not, all, not everyone has made confession to me, and it's not required that you do, but in that state of depression, how are you working through it? So what else is coming into your life in order to compensate for depression? And then from there, what condemnation are you maybe experiencing? Lies from the enemy about who you are. Sins from your past coming back. Why do I mention all these things? Because again, guys, as we're thinking about evangelism, we need to be a people that are able to go out and to go, I want to tell you what Jesus has done for me. But if the enemy is successful at trapping us in a cell of our own making, a prison cell of our own making, by bringing all of these things to the forefront of our minds each and every day, then when we wake up in the morning, we're not necessarily feeling a sense of, let's, let's be on mission for Christ today, but rather, how am I going to get through the day today? Well, that's a big difference, right? And so remember what I said earlier, it's not about minimizing any of these things that you're dealing with, but it is important for us as believers to go, okay, Lord, change my perspective. Help me, Lord, to remember the big picture in everything that I'm dealing with right now. Help me, Lord, to change my perspective. Help me to see the big picture. Help me, Lord, to adjust maybe my expectations. Lord, help me to go out with a sense of who you are, what you're doing in my life, reminding me, Lord, of the things you have done in my life, reminding me of your faithfulness so that I can go out with the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so before we can really consider practical elements of evangelism in a time like this in our culture, we have to be willing to go, Lord, work on my own heart. Because Jesus said here, the harvest is plentiful. It's not a matter right now of whether or not there are people out there who desperately need and even want to know the truth about Jesus Christ and what he has done for them. There are plenty of people. The harvest is ready, guys. And, and I am praying regularly that there would be a great awakening in our country because we are ripe for it again. We are ripe for two things, in my opinion. We are ripe for Jesus to rapture this church, or we are ripe for a great awakening in another awesome revival. I believe that one of those things has to happen here very soon, and I want to be a part of both of them. Right? Whichever one, all right, Lord, get me in the game. And so it's ripe for that, guys. It's, the world is ready for that. But are we, are we in a place where God can use us in that work? So let's consider an aspect of the perspective that we need to gain here tonight. Because this is what I hope. These are, these are some of the principles that I took away these past couple of days that I think all of us really need to consider, okay? So there's five principles that we need to consider tonight as we work to gain proper perspective. The first of which is let's look together at Psalm 84, verse 11. Psalm 84, 11. And I hope that much of this connects back to even the last few weeks in our own study of Matthew, because I think this just really reinforces much of the message of Jesus once again. Psalm 84, verse 
Let's go ahead and do verses 10 and 11, the emphasis being on 11. Psalm 84, beginning in verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Listen, verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk up rightly. Why do I mention this here? Because the first thing that's important for each of us in gaining a right perspective during difficult times is to understand unequivocally God is good. God is good. Can everybody say that with me? God is good. This is a critical foundation for our faith. This is an attribute of God. And if you are struggling with this, then it's going to make everything else difficult. If you can't come back to a trust and a confidence that God is good, everything else is going to be difficult. Every trial that you face is going to be difficult. The Lord God is a sun and shield. And for some of you, go back to what we read earlier. You don't need to turn there, but in Psalm 46, the psalmist there in verse 8 Psalm 46, 8 says, Come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. If some of you are struggling right now, in your heart of hearts, you're being honest with yourself to say, I don't, I struggle sometimes. And listen, I would encourage you, by the way, to be willing to say it. God knows what's in your heart. Be willing to say to God, God, I struggle sometimes to believe that you are good, that you're always good, that no matter what, you are good. Because, and whatever, I see bad things happen in the world, God. Tough things happen in my life, God. Be willing to go to him. God is bigger than your questions. He's bigger than your doubts. If you begin to be honest with him and talk to God about these things, he can move and work in your life and show you things if you're willing to let him. To say, God, I, I want to trust that you're good. Will you help me with this? And, and look at what the psalmist does there in, in Psalm 46.8. Come behold the works of the Lord. What's that a reminder for us to do? To remember what God has done. If you're in a place where you're struggling to really believe that God is good, think back. I refuse to believe that any one of you sitting here right now or any one of you online cannot think of a time in your life where God showed himself to be good. And we need to remember those things. We need to be willing to reflect on those things, to go back and say, yes, God, you are good. Look at what you did, God, in my life. And so here's the thing. The first thing, we must understand and believe God is good, okay? Number two, let's look for a moment at uh, John 16, 33, and then we'll consider a few others. John chapter 16, verse 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Number two, life is hard. God is good, number one. Number two, life is hard. It is, plain and simple. Whoever said it was going to be easy? Nobody. So many people I've heard throughout my lifetime, oh, but God, you know, if, if, if God were real, then this would be easier. Why? Does it ever say that? No, he says, in me you'll have peace. You can be at rest. You can trust. You can have a right perspective on life. But life is hard. The encouraging thing for us here is that Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Listen, this world is going to be tough. This world is going to knock you down. This world is going to create some havoc in your life. But guess what? I've overcome the world. 
I've overcome this world. And then even greater than that is the promise that we are not of this world. Because we have Jesus, then this world in which we're living in that can be a really difficult place, we have the joy and the privilege of being able to say, this isn't my home. This is not everything for me. This is not my forever place. Amen? Listen, some of you, I only heard a couple chuckles when I mentioned politics as to whether or not that was creating a whole lot of worry for you. Maybe it's because some of you watched the debate last night, and because of the debate last night, you just stopped officially putting your hope in anything political in this country. Because I hope that you did. And I have no problem saying it. If any one of you thinks that either candidate, major candidate right now, holds hope for our future, I gotta talk to you and understand what, what drug you're on, okay? And maybe I just offended somebody. Am I wrong? Listen, the word of God, and I'll try not to stay on this for long. The word of God, this, this right here, the Bible, make no mistakes about it. This word makes certain things very clear about for me as a Christian, what I am to be for and what I am to be against. The Bible does that. Let's take the issue of abortion for a moment. Anybody who wants to scoff at the issue of abortion, biblically speaking, you're wrong. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Do not, under any circumstances, ever attempt to minimize that issue and the loss of life. Do not, under any circumstances, seek to condemn someone who has abortion as a part of their past. Shame on you for doing that. The word of God makes clear that care for widows and for orphans and for poor and for the marginalized and for the oppressed in society, that we must care for them. It makes that clear. So many of the political issues that we see out there are clearly dealt with in Scripture. But the Word of God does not parse them out into political parties and tell me that in order to deal with those issues that I need to vote for a particular candidate. It doesn't do that. The Word of God doesn't even tell me that I have to vote. Find me a passage of Scripture that tells me that I have to vote. Now listen, if you think for a second that I'm coming out here saying, well, nobody's going to vote anymore and I'm going all anti-political and all these different things. Listen, you're not paying attention. But I am tired of in this country being told that as a Christian that I need to fit myself into a two-party political system. It is my desperate plea for this church, for the church as a whole, yes, but for this church, for Calvary Chapel Northeast, that we would be a people who collectively say, this world is not my home. That I am a citizen of another kingdom. And that whether it's Richard Nixon or JFK or Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or George W. Bush or George H.W. Bush or Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whomever, please understand, and this takes us to point number three, that God put them there and God will take them down. Plain and simple. Why? Because number three, in order for us to understand and get proper perspective, God is sovereign. God is sovereign, guys. And I understand that it's difficult for us sometimes to wrap our minds around that because he's God and we're not. So that's why it gets tough. That's why it gets, it gets difficult to really go, oh man, Lord, it makes my head hurt to try and figure out how do you, how are you sovereign over all things, all powerful, yet Lord, you give me free will in the midst of that. How, Lord? Well, Romans 11 tells us that God's ways are past finding out. We can't fully understand God, but we can't deny what it says in Scripture. 
And so am I suggesting that we become all of a sudden apolitical, that we disregard everything in our culture? No, I'm not saying that. Again, Scripture gives us a biblical mandate to deal with various issues within our culture today, but it doesn't mandate how we go about doing that. And you, led of the Spirit, seeking the Lord, praying, really considering, Lord, how do you want me to do this? How do you want me to engage? What do you want me to do, Lord, to be a part of force for good in our culture? If the Lord leads you to do various things, well, then praise, praise God for that. But I promise you, no matter what happens on November 4th, we are not in a better or worse shape because of whomever may be elected. We are in perfectly good hands because God is still on the throne. And nothing will be a surprise to him. He's not going to suddenly go, oh no, I tried to tell them. I tried to tell them to vote this way and they didn't. The king is as water in the hand of the Lord. He moves it however he chooses. Now we are blessed to live in what I consider second to Israel, one of the greatest countries, if not the greatest country, again, save Israel, in the history of this world. And we have founding documents that I think are absolutely, aside from the Bible, the most fantastic documents to ever govern a nation. We are blessed. We are a privileged people for that reason. And do I want to continue to see us, this nation, prosper and be a force for good in this world? Absolutely. But my hope is not in the things of this world or in the men and women of this world. My hope is in Jesus. And so Jesus says, you're going to have trouble in this world, but I've overcome it. In 1 Peter in chapter 4 and verses 12 through 19, for the sake of time, we won't go there, but there in verse 12 specifically, Peter says, do not be surprised by the fiery trial that has overtaken you. He says, don't be surprised. You've been told these things are going to happen. And so again, to take us to point number three, God is sovereign. Look at, for a moment, Romans chapter eight. And again, guys, if I ruffled any feathers tonight from a political perspective, please forgive me, but also get over it because let's look at scripture. Let's look at what scripture says. I'm tired of being told that this is the most important election of the history of mankind. And you gotta make sure your vote matters on November 3rd. Listen, again, I'm telling you to vote. I, I, I I love this country. It's a privilege. People died to give us the right to vote, to have democracy where much of the world hasn't had democracy. And yes, could there be many things that that are on the line if if it goes this way or it goes this way? Yeah, but God is still in control in the midst of all of that. And do I trust him? Do I trust him to to bring about his plan and his purposes? Because I can't put all of my hope and trust in these things, whether it be political or otherwise, and then also say things like what we read in Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We can't on one day go, hey guys, it's a really tough day today, but let's remember God works all things together for good. But hey guys, we gotta make sure that we do this and we do this so that we can take things into our own hands and make sure that our plan gets worked out. Furthermore, we love to say Romans 8.28, but then we also sometimes forget Romans 8.29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. I know in a church that celebrates free will, right, and has a balanced view of God's sovereignty in that way, that those types of words right there can make some people uncomfortable, but they're still there. Which means that God has foreknowledge, that God predestines things. How does he go about doing it? In my opinion, Peter gives us some good insight that he foreknew and he predestined according to the foreknowledge because he's God, he's the beginning and the end, he knows all things. How can God not make a decision based off of his foreknowledge? But hey, we don't need to go into that right now. Norman Geisler, fantastic book, Chosen But Free. One of the best, if you want to spend some time making your head hurt, Chosen But Free, Norman Geisler. Wonderful, wonderful book. 
But listen, these things are there. But here's the important thing. It's not that he foreknew or that he predestined, but look what he's doing as he works all things together for good to conform you to the image of his son, that he may not be the firstborn among many brethren. Do you understand, please, that if everything seems to go to hell in a handbasket on November 4th, that we can still trust that God is working all of it for good, Why? So that he can make you more like Jesus. Please, we've got to get this, guys. And I'm not, please, it may seem like I'm coming down on you, but you're just here, right? And you're getting all of this. Guys, listen. What is his purpose? What does God want to do? Why did Jesus die? So that America could last 10 more years. No, and I'm not trying to be mocking. I mean, think about it. Think about it really. Am I against what Franklin Graham is doing? No, he had a prayer gathering on Saturday. It was fantastic. Praise the Lord, 100,000 plus people came together and prayed for repentance and for God to heal our land. I'm not against that. But as we've enjoyed our time of peace and prosperity, I think we've become a little too attached to what we've known and what we've experienced, a little disconnected from what's going on in the rest of the world. And from the fact that Jesus came and died for us to be reconciled unto God and to be conformed and made into his image, sanctified, used by him to reach others with the truth of the gospel, such that as God desires that none would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. And he says, I want to use you, my disciples, to reach others with that truth. And I want you to be passionate, not about the things of this world, but about the fact that people are perishing. And how blessed are we that even when everything seems to be going wrong, we can have confidence in the sovereign God of the universe who says, I'm working it all out to make you better, to make you more like me. I don't pretend to know the mind of God. There's a lot of temptation over these last six months to go, oh, God must be doing this. God must be doing this. Oh, God must be doing this. We don't know. I don't know, I don't know what God is doing through these COVID months and in the midst of all the chaos that we've kind of been experiencing in our country. The only thing I can be confident in is what I know he's doing in me. And I believe that he's making me a better pastor. And I do think he's working in his church to make all pastors better, to make us better shepherds, to prepare us for whatever may be ahead. And what's he doing in your life? Because he's still at work. But we've got to have endurance, guys. We've got, to be, we've got to be willing to go, man, I can press on through this. Hebrews 10.36. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Do you understand that here? The author of Hebrews says you need endurance. You have need of endurance here because this young church was beginning to face difficult things that they were unaccustomed to. And I would not even suggest to us tonight that those of us in this room and in this state, and praise God, by the way, I'm grateful to live in South Carolina. I truly am. There's a lot of things we could do better. But there's a lot of things that I'm really grateful that I'm here right now, especially as it pertains to religious liberty. And so there are some people in our country, yes, I believe they are experiencing persecution. Thus far, we've experienced inconvenience and discomfort. But that might be coming. It might not be long. 
And for this young church, they were saying, man, we're struggling with this. And some of them were being tossed to and fro and and they were struggling as the storms of persecution were continuing to rage upon them. And the author of Hebrews says to them, you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, knowing here, he says, you're gonna do it. Because remember, after a little while, he who is coming will come. Jesus is coming. But what am I gonna be doing between now and then? Am I gonna be fretting about the circumstances of this world? Am I gonna be worried about the various liberties that I have long enjoyed that might be taken away from me from a Congress? Here's the other thing. And again, I am not trying to dog on this tonight, but listen, it's a month away and we need to start getting our minds straight on this issue. Everybody's saying this is the election, this is the election. It all all hinges on this. It all hinged on the last one too, didn't it? And guess what? And and this, by the way, let me me state this, okay? Because I'm not being anti-president here at the moment. Donald Trump has been in office for the last almost four years, right? And persecution has increased under his leadership. Yet we say that if he's not in office anymore, well, persecution's going to come. It came. It is coming. Well, the next Supreme Court justice. Listen, I'm all, praise the Lord. We've been able to, to, to place two people on the Supreme Court bench more conservative folks who are willing to deal with some of the the stain on our culture as it pertains to the issue of abortion. But if I'm not mistaken, the past two religious liberty cases that came before the Supreme Court did not go in our favor. Oh, but if we get one more justice, then it will. No, that's called putting our hope in men to suggest that God isn't bigger than that. Here's the other thing, number four. Number one, God is good. Number two, life is hard. Number three, God is sovereign. Number four, God is all wise. God is all wise. Romans 11, 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Charles Ryrie says that God knows that all things, God knows all things both possible and actual. If God being omniscient, knowing all things, God being sovereign, God being all wise, we have to then trust that God has either decreed or allowed something to happen that if in fact he is working all things together for good for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose, that we may be conformed into his image, then we can also trust that God is going to use the best means possible to produce the best result. That he will use the best means possible to work in your life. So that means that even when you're going through a trial, even when you're struggling with things, even when you're faced with difficulties, you can go, God, I know that what you're doing in me right now is your best way is your best purpose it's what i need and it's going to produce something in me that you desire to see in my life and finally in conjunction with that number five god is all powerful guys if we haven't considered that even in our study of matthews eight and nine matthew eight and nine he has authority over all things there was there's really nothing that was left out there but let's look for a second at jeremiah jeremiah 32 17 ah lord god Behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. And inevitably, when we are confronted with these truths, by the way, they may not always be truths that we're comfortable with, but they are truths nonetheless. When we are confronted with these truths, we, yes, 
sometimes find ourselves in a place where we go, yeah, but God, what about this then? Or God, why don't you do this then? Or God, what gives here? And then we have to take ourselves back to these principles to say, well, if God is sovereign, if God is all wise, then I need to go, God, I trust you. That God, you have allowed this or you have decreed this. In either way, it means that you are using this to conform me into your image, to bring about the best result in my life and in the lives around me. That God, you are in control and I trust you. And guys, I get that it's hard. And I get that we find ourselves in places that are fairly difficult. And we may really look back at point number two and go, yeah, life is hard. Amen. Like, I'll just hang out there for a little while. But guys, again, then we have to consider, well, what, what does God say about that? In 2 Corinthians, in chapter 10, verse 5, and I, we'll start to close here. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Guys, there's going to be times when, when this stuff, the enemy uses these things and, and continues to attack you and causes you to question what you know to be true about God, what the Word of God declares to be true about who God is. And in those moments and when you're feeling frustrated and you're feeling discouraged, you've got to be willing to take those thoughts captive and surrender them to Christ and, and to say, Lord, I know what's true. I know it's true, Lord, that you love me, that you are good, that you care about me, that you are working all things together, that no matter what happens in this world, political or otherwise, you've not stepped down off your throne, you've not left us, you've not given up on us, you are still in control, you will still get the glory. And that maybe right now, Lord, you're doing something new and different and it's ultimately, it might be a little painful for us, but it's gonna be good because you're working in me something that is greater or how about, and we, we don't have time to go to all these places tonight, so I guess we'll revisit it next week, but how about what, what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, verse 9 and 10, where he cries out to God to say, Lord, take this from me three times. Lord, heal me. But what did he hear from God? Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul, you're right where I want you to be. This trial in your life, this difficulty in your life, it's exactly what I want in your life. And I know it may be difficult and I know it may be hard, but you're going to depend more on me and you'll be used for my glory. Or how about in Isaiah in chapter 57? In Isaiah 57, verse 15, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Look what he says. I dwell in the high and holy place. That's God. With him, that's you, who has a contrite and humble spirit. What God says here is, I dwell in two places with you, where you're low in spirit and contrite in heart. Now that's not God saying, I want you to be depressed and melancholy all the time. That's God saying, I want you to be in a place where you rightly understand who I am. Not who you've convinced yourself that you are, but who I am and who you are in me. Let's look at our final passage here for tonight. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. Remember, if you've forgotten from our study of Hebrews here, notice here that the weight isn't necessarily sin. In fact, it seems to be quite distinctive here in this passage. That yes, there's sin in our lives that we need to cast off, but there's also weight, things that entangle us, things that ensnare us. Dare I say, the things of this world. 
that distract us, that weigh us down, that hold us back from doing what it is that God has called us to do, which we know clearly at least is the Great Commission. He says, cast it off, lay it aside, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There is a race that is set before you. There is one that is marked out for you. There is a collective one for all of us where we all arrive at the same finish line and hopefully hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. But for each of you, the track may look a little bit different. Each of you called, by the way, being created, his workmanship, his work of art, for good works which were created beforehand, that you may walk in them. So never forget, God has things that he wants you to do. And so run that race without anything holding you back. Looking unto Jesus, he's the hope, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. He says, you haven't died yet, and you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. That means that we can right now say with all the difficulties going on in our world, anything that may be affecting you personally, you can say, Lord, I trust that you are using this to discipline me. And I, we're not talking about uh, physical discipline and God being mad at you. Remember, God is good. Remember, God is sovereign. God is all wise. And so this is about him saying, I want to work something in your life. I want to change you. I want to transform you because I love you. And if you endure it, verse 7, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Verse 11, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful, yes. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Do you want that fruit in your life? Or do you want the temporary pleasures of this world? Do you want to declare victory in November for things that are worldly and earthly? And again, I'm not saying I'm not a, I'm not saying back away from it all. I'm not saying disregard it all. But I'm saying let's live for something more. Let's live for something else. Let's live for that which we were created for. To be on mission for him, occupying till he comes, being about his business, bringing him glory, knowing that there is an inheritance and a home that awaits us. That's perfect. Amen? But here's the thing. we got to believe this. If we don't believe this, if we can't bring ourselves under the authority of Scripture, if we can't bring ourselves to where we go, yes, I believe each of these things. Not that these are perfect things. In terms of, you know, five points, it's not like in the Bible it said, here's your five points. This is what was pulled out from Scripture. But if we can't look at these things and say, yes, I believe God is good. Yes, I understand life is hard, but he's overcome the world. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God is all wise. Yes, God is all powerful. And for that reason, I must absolutely refuse to worry or to stress or to consider really the things of this world, but instead to fix my eyes on him and then with peace and with joy to go out and tell others about him fulfilling the Great Commission. If we can't do this first, you're going to struggle with the other. You're going to struggle to share the truth of the gospel in a way, by the way, that's loving and winsome because that's what our world needs right now too. Remember, if we look at the way of Jesus, there was only a few people that he truly rebuked. The others he loved, laid his life down for them. And I hope for each of us that we would have the hearts, and I include myself in this, to say, yes, Lord, I want that. 
Change my heart, Lord. Listen, you guys typically take it pretty easy on me. You come to me with different questions and occasionally a few challenges. Otherwise, you're pretty kind people. If you need to let me have it on something, bring it on, okay? And that's not, I mean, that's not me picking a fight. I'm saying bring it on. Send me a text. Come talk to me. Send me your, your, your thoughts. Email me. Send me your cries of outrage. Debate me on the political stuff, right? This is, come, let us reason together. If we can't in this environment, if we can't as the body of Christ, if we can't be about going, man, let's work through this stuff. Let's figure this stuff out. Let's truly be, if we say we're a family, let's be a family. Let's come to an understanding on this stuff. And let's be a people who says, yes, absolutely. Surrender it all. Let's go after it. The harvest is ripe. Man, think of the things that can happen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we pause here this evening, Lord, again, and we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in our lives and our hearts. Holy Spirit, work work these things in our hearts. Unite our hearts, Lord, for the things of you. Detach us, Lord, from the things of this world. Cause us, Lord, to be a surrendered people and an unstoppable force for you and for your kingdom. And Lord, if there's any, you know, as we, even as we go out, these, go through these next several weeks, Lord, and are and are are faced with some of the challenges of just our own culture and the and the things of, of of politics and all of that, Lord, I pray you'd protect hearts and minds, and you would cause us, Lord, just to be able to really work through those things together, to come to a place, Lord, where we are locked arm and in step on the word of God and what you call us to, not distracted by anything else. I don't think that's too bold of a prayer, Lord. I know that you're capable of doing that in us. And I need it, Lord. So, Father, we, we praise you, we thank you, and uh, Lord Jesus, go before us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you would like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.